Welcome to the Happy in the Mess podcast. We are your hosts, Marlena, Sherry, and Matthew. We are therapists and coaches, and we want to share our own stories with you, as well as the wisdom, insights, and tips we've learned along the way. Thanks for tuning in to this episode. Welcome to the latest episode of the Happy in the Mess podcast. I'm Sherry, and I'm here with our resident experts, Matthew and Marlena. Today, we're having a follow-up discussion about having hard conversations. Uh, We talked about this in our last episode, and if you missed it, it's worth going back and listening to because it's got some great advice and suggestions. But when we finished recording that episode, we realized that there were so many other things that we didn't bring into that conversation. And having hard conversations is such an important part of relationships. So we decided that we wanted to talk about it again. So here we are with part two of having hard conversations. As a reminder, please like, share, comment, rate, review, and subscribe on whatever platform you listen to. We also now have an Instagram and a Facebook page dedicated specifically to the podcast. So like and follow us there because that all this motivates us to keep at it and keep bringing you all these insights, all this wisdom so that you can live happier in whatever mess you find yourself in. So before we dive in, let's hear from each of our coaches, what they've been up to and where to find them. Uh, Matthew, where can listeners find you and what what have you been working on? The easiest way is at MatthewEMorgan.com or check out my socials at Misfit Refuge. Uh, We're just working on really kind of doing a lot of behind the scenes stuff, just trying to get some work together. Um, I've had some great conversations, uh, particularly on healing uh, some of that divide between the geek community and the religious spiritual community. Um, so there's some stuff that's going to be coming that way. So feel free to check that out and sign up and we'll get you on the, the first round of uh, information that comes out from there. That is a great crossover because I don't think that there is much discussion between the geek community and spirituality. Uh, Marlena, what about you? Yeah, I'm working on a uh, mental fitness for spiritual singles, um, but not even just the spiritual, just mental fitness in general when it comes to various areas of their life, but specifically in terms of love and relationships, then you can find me at coachmarlena.com. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of good stuff going on there. Um, If you want to hang out with me, I am in my Facebook group, the Date Night Community, and it's for couples who really want to have a deeply connected and satisfying relationship. I have a bunch of resources that I post every week so that couples can can have that that goal of that close and connected relationship. All right, so let's dive into our topic. Uh, We talked about this a little bit last time, but we wanted to revisit because there's some things that we didn't get to. So why do we need to have hard conversations? Why can't we just skip them? Why can't, why can't we just say, you know what, that's uncomfortable. I don't want to do it. I'm just going to avoid that person or I'm just going to end that conversation. Like, why isn't that a good strategy? I think for me, one of the biggest things is you lose an opportunity for growth. Um, not everything comes easily. There's the the analogy of the the very well-intentioned individual who helps the chicken out of its egg as it's hatching and a chick. And, you know, it's, 
part of where the, the strength and the cleansing and everything else comes through that struggle. And I think when we have these hard conversations, we really, we give opportunities for growth and for change uh, with somebody else. Um, you know, it can be as simple as, you know, you've got some food in your beard, uh, you know, and, you know, oh yeah, I need to be more mindful about that kind of moments. Um, clear up into like things that we may be doing or things that we may be receiving that the person may not even know. Um, and having these hard, hard conversations allows for that growth time. Mm. You know, had you um, said that earlier to me, I would have been like, I don't need to grow. I'm good. <laughs> yeah. yeah I mean now I appreciate growth but back in I, in my 20s I really wasn't all that interested in um growing per se I remember trying to break up with a guy and I did it so poorly he thought we were still dating at the end of the conversation so I really had struggles with confrontation and it was not fun for me and I tried to skip out of those conversations as much as possible and I realized later on um, with all my wisdom and now and experience, also this was pre-counselor me, um, that skipping out on those conversations meant that I was going to be unhappy and, and stay stuck myself. Um, you know, it's an extreme example of like not being able to break up with someone meant that I was still in the relationship and had to pretend as such. And, um, and then I had to do it twice. You know, if you don't do it right, you got to do it over. So um, it, it, it was, it was directly tied to getting what I, my needs met and, and my own happiness, but it's also, it's such a, it's such a kindness to the other person to give some clarity and shed some light. It allows either for, in my case, in that situation, the separation to occur, or it could allow for more closeness to occur and intimacy and more satisfaction in the relationship. Should you be doing it to keep it? Yeah, I love that idea of the continuum of conversations all the way from you have something in your teeth do I need to break up with you but Marlena this idea that if you don't have that car hard conversation and do it well you're going to have to do it again I think I see this a lot in couples that they do things to try to avoid an argument and all of the things that they do actually lead them to having a worse argument and having more conflict so, um, so what about this idea of like having those hard conversations so that you don't have to have them again or breaking a cycle? What about that mm-hmm. as part of the heart, the reasoning to have hard conversations? Mm-hmm. I mean, you said it, Sherry, like we will have to do it over. And sometimes we make more of a mess when we don't try to do it well the first time. And I think the doing it well part is part that everyone needs a little bit of coaching around because usually we're not taught how to have them either. I mean, I know that in my family of origin, we were taught either avoidance or blow up. And like, there's a whole lot in the middle of those two things, a whole lot. So learning how to do that. I remember I had a therapist when I first started going therapy way back in the day. And my therapist said, you just need to practice and don't worry about how it comes out at first. You just need to start practicing saying no asking for your needs to get met. We'll work on how it, the delivery later, but like, you just need to get it out. And I was like, okay. And, and it was just very encouraging to hear someone say that to me, you know? And so I, I started and I made some messes along the way, but man, did it feel good to finally speak my truth. Mm. Taylor, and there Taylor. were some messes along the way, I assume. Yes, there were messes along the way. 
I hurt some people's feelings because I was really out of practice. I was usually the yes woman. I said yes to almost everything, even when I didn't want to. I was very much of a people pleaser. And so it took a lot of coaching with my therapist at the time to gain the courage to start speaking up. And people weren't used to it. The people that I was pleasing were no longer pleased. (laughs) So we had a little bit of conflict, but it didn't ruin the relationship. On the contrary, eventually we got to a better place because I was no longer doing things that were sort of in violation of my own space or integrity or boundaries, you know? Um, Yeah. Yeah, good. Thank you for sharing that. Matthew, what about for you? One of my favorite references in this, uh, Taylor Tomlinson is a comedian who just has a fabulous... uh, I think knowledge and acceptance of mental health issues. Um, and one of her, her bits, she talks about um, how in our twenties, we feel like we suck at everything, but we don't recognize that because we do suck at everything. And, and you know, <laughs> she, and she just calls it out. And like that idea of like, well, how do you break up with somebody? We don't know. Like, unless we've been taught and modeled, we learn the same way we learn everything by crashing into a brick wall and then realizing, Oh, that hurts. I don't want to do it that way. You know, and so we back up and we hopefully try to find another way or we just keep hitting it as hard as possible. Right. But having that grace and and Marlene, you modeled this really, really well. Right. This was pre-counselor me. This was pre, you know, informed me or pre-knowledgeable me because that me was still learning these kind of things. And we can't hold her to that same standard that we hold 27 year old you. Um, And (laughs) you're welcome. And, uh, you know, so (laughs) Like it's, it's that wisdom that comes from everything, you know, but, but again, knowing and giving ourselves that grace in that space of saying, I learned through these, and sometimes it's hard conversations. Sometimes it's, it's not doing something right and making a mess of it. Um, And I think at the same time, if we can receive those things, if we can receive those hard conversations, I'm going to roll back to it's room for growth. It's room. Oh, I, I didn't do this well, so let me try it a different way. Let me let me find a different path through this. I have older teens, and they're reminding me of what it was like to be in that that space of becoming an adult. Um, and I I actually think this is worse for them, where in a social media world, there's this idea that you can't mess up, so don't try if you don't already know how to do it. And so you guys are talking about being okay with doing it poorly so that you can learn something new. Do you have any advice for our listeners about doing this? Cause I feel like there's a real block there for a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, well, and that's social media is 100% the challenge on this because most people up to date, most people, what what you see is the fully polished aspect of this. You see musicians who can run 10 different loops of things and and they're phenomenal at what they do, but you don't see, it it doesn't show, they don't show their mess ups or their times of practicing. Uh, The the first thing that jumps to mind here is, um, I think it's Dude Perfect, where they do these incredible trick shots and, and you know, and kids try to do this. They try to emulate because they're like, oh, you know, here it is. But and and they're actually really good about showing their behind the scenes stuff where like it's five hours of throwing ping pong balls at the same set of cups, hoping they hit. 
Um, but unless we show the struggle, we, we don't, we don't get to that final product and we don't appreciate that final product. Um, and I think maybe there's an ethical responsibility if you're, if you're a content creator, um, maybe even showing that imperfect, um, that imperfect side a little bit. What, what did it take to get us to this point? Um, mm -hmm. And I think that puts us in a more realistic framework. Yeah, that's good. No, absolutely. Yeah, because social media is full of unrealistic expectations about everything. And, um, and it's just so easy to think that, that, that it's easy. And it's not. We call them hard conversations because they're hard. And um, yeah, I, I completely agree with what, what Matthew was sharing. And, and it's really difficult when you're young to, um, or not to say young, that's how it's, it's difficult no matter what the age. In fact, I think it can actually get more difficult because the stakes get higher as you get older. And if you're really out of practice with saying something like potentially that's an even more risky conversation and like, you know, weighing out the risks of what, th what this might do, I think scares people out of having them. Um, if I do this, then what, you know, and, and without realizing, well, if I do this, then what? There might be some really good benefits, like also to doing this thing, even though it is hard. Uh, I had a boss once who was in conflict management and she just loved conflict. And at the time I was like, uh-uh, no way. Like, can we just avoid it altogether? But I've, <laughs> it's been quite difficult. And I've had to practice through texting, through voice message. We haven't gotten into this part. Like different modes of communicating to get myself comfortable and warm and like, I don't think necessarily texting is all that terrible when it comes to certain types of card conversations. It depends on the couple, what you're discussing, how long the relationship is, what your outcome is the hope for, you know, what's appropriate. But I think that also can um, help ease people into the hard conversations, maybe choosing a less confrontational mode of communication. Yeah, all good advice. Definitely, definitely this is hard. Hence, it's a hard conversation. Um, one of the things that I think I say a lot to couples is that getting good at hard conversations doesn't mean that the conversation itself feels good. Like it may right. still feel yucky. It may still feel uncomfortable and hard. The getting good at it is being able to get through the whole conversation and get to the point where you can find a solution to it and not spinning out or giving up in the middle of it. Um, I wanted to ask you guys specifically about this concept of ghosting. Now, I think that mm -hmm. ghosting has always been an issue. Um, you know, like you don't want to talk to someone, so you just don't call them again, or you just don't invite them somewhere. Um, but I think this concept of ghosting has become a really big, big problem, big issue in a digital world. So um, I wanted to ask you guys about the ghosting rather than having hard conversations and what the, the consequence to that is on relationships. Well, I think it's hurtful to both parties. I do want to say the person doing the ghosting is also not helping themselves by doing that, not because they're not only not growing, but because of the anxiety that produces. Constantly ignoring something doesn't necessarily make the emotions of it go away. In fact, it might amp up anxiety. So I just want to throw that out there if you're because I have I have done that in the past and I'm not proud of it but it did not cause me peace unless it was like a potentially like abusive situation where I backed away and I knew it was not safe to really 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 like ghosting was the appropriate course of action in that case but in many cases like in other cases it's not and simply telling someone letting them go 
and, and being brave enough to say it, however you say it, is so much the kinder thing. Because the other person is going to be left wondering what happens. I don't understand why did this person, it's become so almost acceptable. It's, it's, it's weird how acceptable it's become. I think it's a little just disappointing in the dating space in particular, this ghosting and even among friends, because everyone's left wondering what happened. I don't understand. And I think it's just a kindness to explain or not even explain, just say, hey, I'm not interested in continuing this connection, which you the best. Yeah. And I mean, there is that, that what's going on behind everything that, that it doesn't go away. And I, I appreciate that, that stance on ghosting. Cause if I, if I just quit talking to somebody, then what happens if I run into them in the supermarket or, or, you know, like, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, I'm sitting here at target and I hear this person's voice of somebody that I, I quit communicating with. It's like, Oh, it's going to be awkward. Right. Like, and that's just it. And, and there is a, this unspoken toll of, of extra anxiety of what if I run into this person or, you know, um, and again, this is different in an abusive situation, you know, but we're talking general when, when safety is, is assumed in this. Um, and I think too, maybe the other thing is, is something super intangible. Um, but what you were saying here, Marlena was when we put when we put this into the universe, uh, whatever we do ethically, whatever we do, when we don't have these conversations or when we ghost or detract from another person and, and risk harming them, there's a chance of it either coming back around or, or just recognize it. Like this is, it's something damaging to the community as a whole. Um, whereas mm -hmm. if we have a more of a community mindset of uh, more of an ethical responsibility, how do we, have these hard conversations to make us better as people um, and not, not ghost and not hurt people. Because when we do that, now this person's going to be more gun shy when it comes to somebody else, um, mm -hmm. you know? And so I think it has that it's, it's like I said, truly intangible, but I think it is part of, part of what we need to consider here. Yeah. I, I think you're onto something. The community loses trust. We start losing trust in each other when this happens. Yeah. I think there's also, this triggers something that is either biological or cultural that in, I don't know, ancient times, whatever time period you're going to put on that, one of the worst things that you could do to someone is to completely cut them off, to ostracize them. And I think we don't think about the, the historical and biological reaction that a person has when they've been ghosted, that that feels very much like that ostracized and being cut off from the group. And if you don't have some sort of process to do that, that can feel on a, on a biological level, like very devastating. Mm. That's such a good point. Cause then it creates shame in the party that's being ghosted. Again, that's what's wrong with me. Mantra comes back up, you know, when they're left with no explanation as to why this person cut off all communication. I mean, that is very shaming. Yeah. And I would say too, when it comes to this stuff, like to, in order not to ghost, I think it's really helpful. If, if you're, if you're out there and you're listening to this and you're tempted to like, just cut off communication without explanation, like I would definitely talk to someone and maybe even write out a script, be with someone when you have the conversation. I know I've had to do that in the past. Like, get a best friend next to me to help make sure that I go through with it and stick to my word that I'm going to have some integrity here and do the right, the right thing in order to let both of us go. Um, in the case that 
you know, where I was breaking up with someone in particular comes to mind. I've had to like write out what I wanted to say, be kind about it, and then go over to a friend's house and have them sit with me while I do it <laughs> because it's it's challenging. It brings up a lot of fear and emotion and it's not easy on either party. You have alluded to a bunch of different ways that you can have a hard conversation. So I want to hit on that just a little bit more specifically. You've talked about face-to-face. You've talked about um, writing it. You've talked about texting it. I, I assume there's also the phone call. Like these different ways of having a hard conversation, it seems like maybe there would be good times to use different ones. Uh, what kind of, what suggestions do you guys have for that? I think there's good there's good times, there's good people. I think the people communicate differently and, and neurodivergent community as, as typical, we're not typical. Um, so, so everything is, is a little different. Um, and this, again, this can vary so much. I think knowing yourself, um, you know, I think a text message generally is a great expedient way to communicate something quickly. Um, but lacks nuance and depth um, and very much becomes a mirror of whatever we're feeling um, rather than a rather than a window. Um, so that's, you know, if we put that out there, we have to be cautious. What's this person going going to see or what, the, what are they going to read in this? Um, you know, I think letters, you know, emails, um, you know, you can at least add some more depth. When you have face, you have more more gestures, more visuals, um, but at the same time, that can also be very flooding to somebody else. So again, for NDs, the the extra visuals could be very off-putting and and flooding. So they we might work better by you know, hey, let me flesh this out in some sort of written format. Um, you know, so I I don't know that it's easy to come up with a hard and fast rule. I think we have to know ourselves, know the other person, know the communication, and know that. There may be times that we miss and offer always offer to have that follow-up of let's continue this conversation if we need to, um, you know, if we need to come to the, the, the end of it. But going back to Marlena's, like, make sure we actually do get to the end and don't stay together with somebody else, you know, somebody that we broke up with. You know, so. <laughs> That's pretty extreme. I mean, I, I agree with Matthew. There's no hard and fast rule here. I know a couple that works really well through texting and they're able to get out all, all the stuff they need to and then they come, come and talk to talk to each other about it later. I've had that approach with some people where like texting about it first kind of opens the door. They've prepared. We know what we're going to talk about. Gives people some some processing time and then come and have the conversation in person or over the phone. Um, so like I, I like the combination personally. I've used both. And, and sometimes it's not necessary and close enough, intimate enough that the conversation can happen organically in person. There doesn't need to be a whole lot of prep work per se, because I know there's no risk of losing it. I think of like family members in particular for me, real easy to have conversations in person. I just know there's a lot of safety inherently in the, in the relationship. But sometimes a relationship really doesn't warrant much more than a text. I hate to say that, but that's sometimes you don't need to spend the emotional energy on having a long phone call or face to face when there hasn't been that much interaction. There's not much, much, there's not a lot of depth or longevity and you're not intending to keep it. Sometimes it's okay. If that's the way you need to do it to get the message across and the relationship's not all that important to you, it's okay to do it in those ways too. Um, I think it's just also like Matthew shared, it depends on you and the relationship and what your, what your goal is here. 
you guys are talking about reading situations well to know which way to communicate. So when we're talking about um, practicing, we're really talking about practicing in a variety of different ways to find the way that feels the best for you. What about when the other person has a completely different way? Like I think about couples where one really needs that face-to-face, eye-to-eye conversation, and the other one, that is their worst sort of way of communicating. What about when you've got this mismatch? Bummer. Uh, the end. No, <laughs> just kidding. Um, it's, a, it's a terrible advice. No, and it, it's in the Venn diagram, right? It's it's where do, where can we come and where can we overlap? Um, and it, it takes both people. And, and ultimately, kind of one has to set aside part of who they are or part of the way they communicate in, in order to either translate or work through this. Sometimes we need a, a therapist who can give us the tools to do that. Um, our, our life is literally spent on computers and computers, all they are, are a bunch of ones and zeros. Uh, it, it's just random code. And, and yet there's this translator, uh, you know, that, that compiles code. It, it changes it so that it's something visual for us. Um, because, you know, quite frankly, as a stream of one and zeros, I'm, you know, I don't look quite the same. Um, and so we need that in our communication a lot of times is that maybe that conversion factor. Um, sometimes it's a matter of if both people can't have their way, what's the, what's the consensus? What can we both do? Um, I was thinking earlier with uh, particularly ND stuff, but everybody, uh, a lot of people don't like that, that eye to eye contact because it's too intense. But could we both be happy if we were rather than facing each other facing outward? Um, and having the same conversation while we're in a car or on a walk or something like that, you know, sometimes it that's a great way to to have the consensus where both of us can have our needs met. Um, and that way, it starts everything off on the best foot possible with it. Those are good suggestions. And I would lob it back to you, Sherry, being the couples expert. What do you <laughs> tell couples who have vastly different ways they want to communicate and feel comfortable? Yeah, I think about um, knowing who you're talking to and finding a way that works for both of you. And Marlena, I really like your suggestion about having multiple ways of having the same conversation, that maybe having a conversation isn't a one and done conversation, but it is short pieces of a longer conversation that you address at different times. Now, when I'm talking about couples, I'm obviously talking about a long-term relationship. So we're not trying to necessarily solve everything once and never have to revisit it. In fact, trying that one and done conversation usually doesn't work at all in couples. Um, I also, as I was listening to you, Marlena, I realized how often somebody needs some warning before you're going to tackle something hard. So even just being able to say, all right, we need to talk about the finances. I know that that's not something that we usually see eye to eye on. So I'm going to set aside a half an hour on Sunday when we can just try and talk through this project and see if we can come to terms on this. Yeah, And just being able to kind of set the stage for it so that the other person can start thinking about it and preparing their own 
ideas about it. So it becomes a conversation together rather than just a one-way hard conversation. <clears throat> this, this brings me to this next idea about when you have a hard conversation, if you address the other person as though you're just talking about their side of this relationship, that often can fall apart. And the other person gets defensive and doesn't want to hear what you have to say. What advice do you guys have for having these conversations in a way that doesn't shut the other person down? So, yeah, let's go ahead. I'll say, I was I was a wrestler in high school, and like the typically the first thing when pe two people side up is they push at each other, um, and they push and they push and they push, and invariably one person realizes like, oh, all the momentum's going this way. All I got to do is pull, and I'm going to change the you know the the tenor of what's going on right now. And I think couples, individuals, we tend to come together and push, push, push. Um, because we want our agenda, we want to be heard, we're upset, whatever it is. But if we take responsibility, and this, and it's hard because this is not our nature. Our nature is to push, and if we're pushed, we push back. But if we can allow pull and just say, hey, I know I might be responsible for some of this stuff. Um, it's, it's as simple as something like that. I might be, I can be. Um, I've, I try to preface a lot of what I say. I could be wrong with this. Um, even in counseling, I, I will start out for having a hard conversation. Like I could be, I could be wrong about this observation, and ninety percent of the time I'm not. But that's you know beside the point. Um, but if we start off with that soft spot, the the conversation is, is like you said, it's more likely I think to to have a positive tone to it. Um, so we give a little bit of ground in order to gain a lot. Yeah. Let me add another phrase to that. Help me understand what I'm seeing. Sometimes that gives the other person the space to kind of walk through what's in their head so that it becomes a, a conversation of understanding rather than of accusation. Mm -hmm. Marlene, what do you want to add? I just want to go back to, I know we mentioned this in the last episode, so I encourage you to re-listen. I just will br briefly mention it here, but that Dear Man script, you can Google it from Dialectical Behavior Therapy is so helpful. Just describing how you, what's wrong, expressing your feelings, asserting what you need, and being short and sweet about it, and not going, bringing it, dredging up the path, not using phrases like always and never, and uh, assuming that you, you may have, I forget the statistic, like 20% accountability for whatever issue you're bringing up, never assuming that the other person is 100% to blame, because that's usually never the, I'm not supposed to use always never, but that's usually never the case when you think the other person is 100% wrong. That's usually not the case. So um, allowing for um, some accountability, allowing for the possibility that there are things that you two can do to change the dynamic if you're upset about something. Yeah, I think of the... Uh sandwich format where you start with something positive and then you give the negative feedback and then you wrap it up with something else that's positive. And sometimes that can help lower the other person's um, the way they hear it because they mm -hmm. know that you still value them as a person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and maybe to prefacing if it's in a, a relationship that you really value and you know, the other person is like of an anxious type, perhaps saying like, I'm not, this is not going to end our relationship. I'm here. I'm actually trying to get closer to you. And, and here's why, you know, 
saying the the sweet things, prefacing it with some stability and safety can be helpful too, you know? And I think being mindful of your tone when you start. And like I said before, making sure everyone's eaten, well-fed, rested. You know, I hate being assaulted with a heavy conversation when I'm tired, when I'm hungry. And if I haven't had any prep time, like if I, it's really coming out of nowhere, it's my least favorite type of let's have a hard conversation end of a long day i haven't had dinner and it's coming out of nowhere <laughs> yeah i would say the seven best words that will change the tone of an argument is now a good time to talk mm-hmm. if you start mm-hmm. off with that you can get yourself into that better footing so, yeah. mm-hmm. and now i'm someone who needs a time to talk that is such a powerful statement Absolutely. I really appreciate that. And something I will use, Matthew, I also appreciate just, uh, I'm someone who needs a little bit more time to think about things before I engage. And so like giving me, I think giving me that lead time is so important. It's it's a highly sensitive person. I just need to, I need to be able to process and I can't always have the conversation right away. Tell me the topic. Let me think about it. I'll come back later, (laughs) you know, and, and that being okay. Yeah, we're um, segueing into a topic that is closely related, but maybe worthy of another another episode is how to receive a hard conversation. So here we are. We've wiled away our time again. What final tips do you have for our listeners in terms of having these hard conversations and having them go well and learning from them? Do it. That's it. You know, no, Uh, do it. Recognize you may, we may stink at it. We may make mistakes. Um, And I think just having some faith that if, if this is a relationship that is to be, that if it's something that, that is important, that we will continue to work through it. And if that person does not value us or value our time and cut us off because of something that we did wrong, um, then that's probably was not a, a person that was in our meant to be in our orbit for too long. Hmm. I'll echo that and just say that it gives you clarity one way or the other. Either it gives you the clarity to make the relationship better, or it gives you the clarity in either case to maybe let that person orbit out of your orbit, if that makes sense, Mm -hmm. go out of the orbit. So I think, and clarity is priceless and it feels so good to have it eventually, even if it doesn't feel good in the moment, the, the end result of having that clarity is so helpful. We think about personal growth as something that is helpful and makes us better people, but the process of personal growth is rarely smooth or feels good. Instead, it's like stretching and stepping outside of your comfort zone and trying something you've never tried before. So just keep in mind that we do personal growth activities for the outcome, not necessarily the process. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for all of your wisdom. I learned so much from you guys every time we talk. Listeners, thank you for joining us today. Uh, remember that you can find us on Facebook and Instagram, our podcast pages. We also have our personal uh, websites and uh social media you can find us there look for us we've all we've each got some really exciting things going on and if you like this episode please share it and comment we would love to hear what you liked and what you took away from it um thank you so much for joining us and we will talk to you next week